And hello, welcome back to Classic Breakdown. It's a podcast in which um, I attempt to read, my name's Greg Wagland, I attempt to read Dracula. And um, I interject occasionally. I let myself go, I think out loud. And it's all a bit of a classic breakdown, a classic car crash, really. And um, we're saying Dracula... I'm saying Dracula, and you're attempting to put up with me a saying Dracula, and um, we've got up to chapter seven, and now we're on chapter. No, chapter seven it is, and uh, I'm trying this with this NT um, USB Rode NT USB Mini Rode NT Mini USB, and um, I thought I'd try it standing up. Why not? Why not be experimental? Uh, it's the 2nd of January, 2023. Um, things can only get better, as nobody said regarding this year. And um, But hopefully a bit of Dracula will put us in the mood for more tyrannical darkness. Um, <laughs> only joking, guys. Chapter 7. Cutting from the Daily Graph. 8th of August. Can you imagine what the Daily Graph is supposed to be? Pasted from Mina Murray's journal. From a correspondent. Whitney. Pasted in Mina Murray's journal. People had scrapbooks and journals then, didn't they? You could be secretive then. You didn't have to write a journal online and know that your local FBI office or MI5 office or Cheltenham GCHQ were reading it. You could just paste it in your little scrapbook and they'd literally, Flying Squad or whoever would literally have to, perhaps not Flying Squad, um, would literally have to break your door down to get at your scrapbook. And, um, you know, you could have your little pot of copy decks or paper glue and you could stick in little bits of subversive stuff, handbills that you'd been given on the streets, and uh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? So let's see where this goes. And uh, God, this standing up malarkey isn't very comfortable, is it? One of the greatest and suddenest storms on record has just been experienced here, with results both strange and unique. The weather had been somewhat sultry, but not to any degree uncommon in the month of August. I don't know, a bit of sultry weather in August. I think it's a climate crisis, don't you? Probably the sky is falling. A bit sultry. Yes, we'd better we'd better stay indoors. Let's colour that in red on the map, scarlet. Scarlet on the map. Slightly sultry, the humidity. It's climate change. It's not climate warming anymore, is it? Have you noticed? Um, you probably have. Saturday evening was as fine as was ever known. And the great body of holiday-makers laid out yesterday for visits to Mulgrave Woods, Robin Hood's Bay, Rig Mill, Runswick, Staithes, and the various trips in the neighbourhood of Whitby. The steamers, Emma and Scarborough, oh, you name them, do you, made trips up and down the coast, and there was an unusual amount of tripping both to and from Whitby. There's probably a lot of tripping in Whitby these days as well, isn't there? 
Um, the day was unusually fine till the afternoon, when some of the gossips who frequent the East Cliff churchyard and from the commanding eminence watch the wide sweep of sea visible to the north and east, called attention to a slow show of mare's tails high in the sky to the northwest. Mm, mare's tails. A sign, a sure sign of inclement, impending maritime disaster, no doubt. The wind was then blowing from the southwest in the mild degree, which in barometrical language is ranked number two, light breeze. Ah, the barometer, yes, number two, light breeze. The Coast Guard on duty at once made report, and one old fisherman, who for more than half a century has kept watch on weather signs from the East Cliff, foretold in an emphatic manner the coming of a sudden storm. There's a sudden storm coming. Where's he from? Answers on a postcard. The approach of sunset was so very beautiful, so grand, in its masses of splendidly coloured clouds, that there was quite an assemblage on the walk along the cliff in the old churchyard to enjoy the beauty. Before the sun dipped below the black mass of Kettle Ness, standing boldly athwart the western sky, its downward way was marked by myriad clouds of every sunset colour, flame, purple, pink, green, violet, and all the tints of gold, with here and there masses not large, but of seemingly absolute blackness in all sorts of shapes, as well outlined in as colossal silhouettes. As well outlined as colossal silhouettes. It's always, always good when my understanding of the sentence follows seven seconds after I've said it. That's um, the fish oils, probably. Have to boost those. The experience was not lost on the painters, and doubtless some of the sketches of the prelude to the great storm will grace the R&A and R.I. walls in May next. Yes, a lot of people sketching then. Nowadays people just have their whip their iPhone out, don't they? Or their Android, and point it roughly in the direction of something interesting. Why not? Why not? It's uh, easier than having your, your big easel, I find. More than one captain made up his mind then and there that his cobble, or his mule, as they term the different classes of boats, would remain in the harbour till the storm had passed. Good idea. The wind fell away entirely during the evening, and at midnight there was a dead calm, a sultry heat, not more sultry heat, let's declare a, a disaster, let's, um, let's batten people into their houses and let them out when the temperature drops down to, I don't know, what would be reasonable to venture abroad. Um, mid-sixties. And that prevailing intensity which, on the approach of thunder, affects persons of a sensitive nature. Yeah, I get that. A little bit of a headache, maybe. You know, when it's getting a bit close. Do we say close? Do you say close? I say close. There were but few lights in sight at sea. For even the coasting steamers, which usually hug the shore so closely, kept well to seaward but few fishing boats were in sight. The only sail noticeable 
was a foreign schooner. Schooner sherry, please. With all sails set, which was seemingly going westwards. The foolhardiness, or ignorance, of her officers was a prolific theme for comment whilst she remained in sight, and efforts were made to signal her to reduce sail in the face of her danger. Before the night shut down, that's me flipping away on my on my iPad, before night shut down, is that what it said? Let me flip back. Before the night shut down, she was seen with sails idly flapping as she gently rolled on the undulating swell of the sea, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. You see, that should be a quote that we should um, be able to recognise. Is it? Is it the Ancient Mariner? Is it? Uh, who was the Ancient Mariner? Written by Coleridge? I don't know. That's all. It's all a blur. I have no idea. Shortly before ten o'clock, the stillness of the air grew quite oppressive. Excuse me, and the silence was so marked that the bleating of a sheep inland or the barking of a dog in the town was distinctly heard. And the band on the pier, with its lively French air, was like a discord in the great harmony of nature's silence. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea, and high overhead the air began to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then, without warning, the tempest broke, with a rapidity which at the time seemed incredible, and even afterwards is impossible to realise the whole aspect of nature at once became convulsed. The waves rose in growing fury, each overtopping its fellow, till in a very few minutes the lately glassy sea was like a roaring and devouring monster. This big fat pigeon stood out there on the chimney. They're so chunky. So content. The queen of the birds, the big fat pigeon, in these parts. Where was I? The waves rose in growing fury each overtopping its fellow, till, in a very few minutes, the lately glassy sea was like a roaring and devouring monster. That sentence seems familiar. White-crested waves beat madly on the level sands and rushed up the shelving cliffs. Do cliffs shelve? I suppose they do, but don't they more just go straight up? Isn't a shelving cliff something else? A sort of bank with a steep incline. Others broke over the piers, and with their spume swept the lanterns of the lighthouses, or lanthorns of the lighthouses, which rise from the end of either pier of Whitby Harbour. The wind roared like thunder, and blew with such force that it was with difficulty that even strong men kept their feet, or clung with grim clasp to the iron stanchions. It was found necessary to clear the entire pier from the mass of onlookers, or else the fatalities of the night would have increased manifold. Oh, those bloody onlookers, just gripping on, just gawping out, with their big easels and fistful of crayons and pastels. 
To add to the difficulties and dangers of the time, masses of sea fog came drifting inland. Did it drift when the wind roared like thunder? Drift seems unlikely, doesn't it? Um, is he practising some meteorological, meteorological, meteorological sleight of hand here? Old um, Bram. White, wet clouds which swept by in ghostly fashion, so dank and damp and cold. Dank and damp. What's the difference between dank and damp? That it needed but little effort of imagination to think that the spirits of those lost at sea were touching their living brethren with the clammy hands of death, and many a one shuddered as the wreaths of sea mist swept by. Did it take little effort of imagination to think that? I think it would have taken a huge amount of effort to coax one's imagination to think that, especially for bluff Yorkshire folk, surely. Anyway, at times the mist cleared, and the sea for some distance could be seen in the glare of the lightning, which came thick and fast, followed by such peals of thunder that the whole sky overhead seemed trembling under the shock of the footsteps of the storm. My word, my word, maybe I'm peeking here. I've taken down my um, my recording level, because I suddenly grew a little alarmed that I was too loud. At times the mist cleared, and the sea for some distance could be seen in the glare of the lightning, which came thick and fast, followed by such peals of thunder that the whole sky overhead seemed trembling under the shock of the footsteps of the storm. Some of the scenes thus revealed were of immeasurable grandeur, and of absorbing interest. The sea, running mountains high through skywards, with each wave mighty masses of white foam, which the tempest seemed to snatch at and whirl away into space. Here and there a fishing boat, with a rag of sail, running madly for the shelter before the blast, now and again the white wings of a storm-tossed seabird. I lost the grammar of that sentence, and never mind, push on. On the summit of the east cliff the new searchlight was ready for experiment, but had not yet been tried. Yes, we know other things that are experiments and have not yet been tried, but, uh, well, we might as well try them. The officers in charge of it got it into working order, and in the pauses of onrushing mist swept with it the surface of the sea. Oh, yeah, they got it in working order, stuck in a couple of triple-A batteries, and uh, got it working, and they swept the surface of the sea with this fantastic new searchlight. What year was this printed? Published? Printed? Published. Once or twice its service was most effective, as when a fishing boat with gunwale under water rushed into the harbour, able, by the guidance of the sheltering light, to avoid the danger of dashing against the piers. As each boat achieved the safety of the port, there was a shout of joy from the mass of people on the shore, a shout which for a moment seemed to cleave the gale and was then swept away in its rush. This is a very good um, Daily Telegraph article, isn't it, from a correspondent? 
Before long, the searchlight discovered some distance away a schooner with all sails set. I thought we'd already discovered this schooner. Apparently the same vessel which had been noticed earlier in the evening. My mistake. The wind had by this time backed to the east, and there was a shudder amongst the watchers on the cliff as they realised the terrible danger in which she now was. Between her and the port lay the great flat reef on which so many good ships have from time to time suffered, and, with the wind blowing from its present quarter, it would be quite impossible that she should fetch the entrance of the harbour. It was now nearly the hour of high tide, but the waves were so great that in their troughs the shallows of the shore were almost visible, and the schooner, with all sails set, I think it bears repeating, was rushing with such speed that, in the words of one old salt, she must fetch up somewhere if it was only in hell. He's come up from Dorset on a, on a National Express coach, and, um, yeah, he's fallen in with some locals. They tease him for, for his um, Thomas Hardy-like uh, lingo, dingo, lingo got my baby. Then came another rush of sea fog, greater than any hitherto, a mass of dank mist, which seemed to close on all things like a grey pall, and left available to men only the organ of hearing. For the roar of the tempest and the crash of the thunder and the booming of the mighty billows came through the damp oblivion even louder than before. Damp, dank, damp, dank. As long as you use them alternately, you'll be all right, Bram. Um, what do I know? I know nothing. Um, yeah. The rays of the searchlight. Those two, um, two AAA batteries lasting really well here. The rays of the searchlight were kept fixed on the harbour mouth across the east pier, where the shock was expected, and men waited breathless. Women quite relaxed about it, but the men, the men held their breath. The wind suddenly shifted, as did I on my feet, kicking my slippers away. There they are, you hear them going. The wind suddenly shifted to the northeast, and the remnant of the sea fog melted in the blast. I thought it might have melted a long time ago, actually, but what do I know? And then, mirabile dictu, don't know what that means, I think that's one of the Romanians accompanying um, Vlad, mirabile dictu, between the piers, leaping from wave to wave as it rushed at headlong speed, swept the strange schooner, yeah, just a schooner, please, Bristol cream, that'll do nicely, before the blast, with all sail set, and gained the safety of the harbour. The searchlight followed her. Sick to death with this bloody searchlight. Yes, all right, it's a wonder. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And a shudder ran through all who saw her. For lashed to the helm was a corpse with drooping head. They do tend to, don't they? Which swung horribly to and fro at each motion of the ship. No other form could be seen on the deck at all. A great awe came on all, as they realised that the ship, as if by a miracle, had found the harbour unsteered, save by the hand of a dead man. However, it's like Robert Maxwell. No, it isn't. It's like, uh, who was steering that night? 
we may never know. However, all took place more quickly than it takes to write these words. Or read them, indeed. The schooner paused not, but rushing across the harbour, pitched herself on that accumulation of sand and gravel washed by many tides and many storms into the southeast corner of the pier, jutting under the east cliff, known locally as Tate Hill Pier. There was, of course, a considerable concussion as the vessel drove up on the sand heap. Every spar, 7-Eleven, rope and stay was strained, and some of the top hammer came crashing down. Top hammer. Interesting. Never heard of it. But why would I? I'm not a maritime scholar of the 19th century. Would that I were. But strangest of all, the very instant the shore was touched, an immense dog sprang up, well, immense for a, for a cockapoo. An immense dog sprang up on deck from below, as if shot up by the concussion, and running forward, jumped from the bow, Daddy wouldn't buy me a bow, on the sand, making straight for the steep cliff, where the churchyard hangs over the laneway to the east pier so steeply that some of the flat tombstones, thrufsteins or throughstones, as they call them in Whitby vernacular, actually project over where the sustaining cliff has fallen away. It disappeared in the darkness, which seemed intensified just beyond the focus of the searchlight. Or, as we English speakers say, which seemed intensified just beyond the focus of the searchlight. It so happened that there was no one at, at... Look out the window. Calm yourself. Gather your thoughts. This iPad's heavy. It so happened that there was no one at the moment on Tate Hill Pier. It's at Andrew Tate Hill Pier. As all those whose houses are in close proximity were either in bed or were out on the heights above. Or were out on the heights above. Thus the coast guard on duty on the eastern side of the harbour, who at once ran down to the little pier, was the first to climb aboard. The men working the searchlight, after scouring the entrance of the harbour without seeing anything, then turned the light on the derelict, and kept it there, poor man. The coast guard ran aft, and when he came beside the wheel, bent over to examine it. How small is this wheel? and recoiled at once as though under some sudden emotion. This seemed to pique general curiosity, and quite a number of people began to run. It is a good way round from the West Cliff, by the drawbridge, to Tate Hill Pier. But your correspondent is a fairly good runner, and came well ahead of the crowd. When I arrived, however, I found already assembled on the pier a crowd whom the Coast Guard and police refused to allow to come on board. Bloody typical, isn't it? By the courtesy of the chief boatman I was, as your correspondent, permitted to climb on deck. Of course I'm from the Daily Telegraph. Am I permitted to climb on deck and uh, have a poke round? Of course, sir, of course you are. With the quality of your journalism, daily, since 1702... You'll be welcome to do anything. Indeed, whatever you see, whatever you write, just make it up. We don't mind. And um, and was one of a small group who saw the dead seaman whilst actually lashed to the wheel. 
Well, that's something for your old, um, for your old scrapbook memory scrapbook, isn't it? For your old lash bank. It was no wonder that the Coast Guard was surprised or even awed, for not often can such a sight have been seen. The man was simply fastened by his hands, tied one over the other to a spoke of the wheel. Between the inner hand and the wood was a crucifix and set of beads, the set of beads on which it was fastened being around both wrists and the wheel, and all kept fast by the binding cords, by the binding cords. I wish I'd sat in a chair now, standing up for this length of time. It's exhausting. I mean, I'm not a young person any more, and uh, frankly, standing up is for the birds. Except um, the ones that stand on one leg, what are they? Well, they still stand up, I suppose. Are they flamingos? Do they stand on one leg? Storks, perhaps? Growing delirious, it's the altitude. The poor fellow may have been seated at one time, <laughs> but the flapping and buffeting of the sails had worked through the rudder of the wheel and had dragged him to and fro, so that the cords with which he was tied had cut the flesh to the bone. That's not very nice, is it? Accurate note was made of the state of things, and a doctor, Surgeon J. M. Caffin, of 33 East Elliot Place, who came immediately after me, declared, after making examination, that the man must have been dead for quite two days. In his pocket was a bottle carefully corked, empty save for a little roll of paper, which proved to be the addendum to the log. Yes, it's often surprising to get an addendum to a log, isn't it? The Coast Guard said the man must have tied up his own hands, fastening the knots with his teeth. The fact that the Coast Guard was the first on board may save some complications later on. In the Admiralty Court, for Coast Guards cannot claim the salvage which is the right of the first civilian entering on a derelict. Already, however, the legal tongues are wagging, and one young law student is loudly asserting that the rights of the owner are already completely sacrificed, his property being held in contravention of the statutes of Mortmain. Could that be the statutes of Mortmain? I don't know, maybe it is the statutes of Mortmain. I think it's a typo. Since the tiller, as emblemship, if not proof of delegated possession, is held in a dead hand. Oh, my word. Another slice of tort, anybody. It is needless to say that the dead steersman has been reverently removed from the place where he held his honourable watch and ward till death, a steadfastness as noble as that of young Casabianca and placed in the mortuary to await inquest. Well, they're saying that the dead steersman held his honourable watch with steadfastness, but if I was tied to something, I don't think you could say I was steadfast in my duty. If I was, uh, if I was tied to, I don't know, the production line in the medicaments factory at Moderna or Pfizer, um, if I was tied to that bottling, bottling conveyor belt, I don't think um, I would be noted for my steadfastness, because I think I'd 
reasonably attempt to escape um, from that from that job. Already the sudden storm is passing and its fierceness is abating. Crowds are scattering backward and the sky is beginning to redden over the Yorkshire wolds. I shall send, in time for your next issue, further details of the derelict ship which found her way so miraculously into harbour in the storm. I mean, that might do us, because, frankly, uh, there's a little bit more. 9th of August. This must be the same correspondent, I suppose. The sequel to the strange arrival of the derelict in the storm last night is almost more startling than the thing itself. It turns out that the schooner, cheers, is Russian from Varna, is Russian from Varna, and is called the Demeter. She is almost entirely in ballast of silver sand, with only a small amount of cargo, a number of great wooden boxes filled with mould. Ah, yes, to be delivered to housing associations around the country. This cargo was consigned to a Whitby solicitor, Mr. S.F. Billington of Seven the Crescent, sounds idyllic, I hope it's a bungalow, who this morning went aboard and took formal possession of the goods consigned to him. The Russian consul, too, acting for the charter party, took formal possession of the ship and paid all harbour dues, etc. I would like to pay all harbour dues. Nothing is talked about here today except the strange coincidence. The officials of the Board of Trade have been most exacting in seeing that every compliance has been made with existing regulations. As the matter is to be a nine days' wonder, they are evidently determined that there shall be no cause of other complaint. Oh, they want to get it done in nine days, do they? Yes. A good deal of interest was, was abroad concerning the dog which landed when the ship struck and more than a few of the members of the SPCA, which is very strong in Whitby, have tried to befriend the animal. To the general disappointment, however, it was not to be found. So how did they try to befriend it if they couldn't find it? They wanted to befriend it. They didn't try. Here, boy, here, boy, come on. Here's a toy. Here's a little squeaky toy. Squeak! Do you want to play with it? Come on, come on, get the net ready. Fred, get the net ready, he's coming. Well, they can't find it, so they wouldn't make attempts to befriend it, would they? It seems to have disappeared entirely from the town. It may be that it was frightened by the squeaky toy and made its way onto the moors, where it is still hiding in terror, as my colleague Arthur Conan Doyle will further relate. There are some who look with dread on such a possibility, lest later on it should in itself become a danger, for... It is evidently a fierce brute, as far as cockpoos can be. Early this morning a large dog, a half-bred mastiff belonging to a coal merchant close to Tate Hill Pier, uh, was found dead in the roadway opposite its master's yard. It had been fighting and manifestly had had a savage opponent, for its throat was torn away and its belly was slit open as if with a savage claw. Okay. Later. By the kindness of the Board of Trade Inspector, I have been permitted to look over the logbook of the Demeter, which was in order up to within three days, but contained nothing of special interest except as to the facts of missing men. 
The greatest interest, however, is with regard to the paper found in the bottle, which was today produced at the inquest. And a more strange narrative than the two between them unfold, it has not been my, been my lot to come across. Am I having a medical moment here? I can't seem to read. As there is no motive for concealment, I am permitted to use them, and accordingly send you a transcript, simply omitting technical details of seamanship and supercargo. Oh, I think they'd have more, been more interesting, wouldn't they? It almost seems as though the captain had been seized with some kind of mania before he had got well into blue water, poor chap, and that this had developed persistently throughout the voyage. Possibly his consumption of Harvey's Bristol cream had finished him off three litres before they were a day out of Varna. Of course, my statement must be taken cum grano. How unpleasant, since I am writing from the dictation of a clerk of the Russian consul, who kindly translated for me, time being short. Thanks, clerk of the Russian consul, Igor. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. It was fun. And uh, I've been standing up for far too long now. It's not good for you, I don't think. I like to stump, stump, slump. I like to slump on a bit of comfy furniture, allowing my spine to adopt the undulations and shape of the of the sofa, sofa below and so far below. And, uh, yeah, still sunny out there. Looks nice, 2nd of January. Um, yeah, so my New Year's resolution, uh, number six, has already gone by the board. I won't be attempting to stand up and record very often, I don't think. It's far too much bother. don't really like it. Um, anyway, however, what shall we say now? Let's say thanks for listening. Let's say Happy New Year. Let's um, say try and do a few more if it's not too tedious. And um, yeah, that that is the size of it. And uh, let's uh, see what the quality of the audio is. Um, I might have a cup of tea now. What do you think? Why don't you have a cup of tea now as well? Go and pop the kettle on. You're one of about half a dozen listeners. And um, thanks for listening. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, yes, if you do get all the way to the end of this, you could, whatever your podcast purveyor is, whatever your podcast, if it's Apple or Google or whoever, yeah, you could write a little review and saying I hated it, I loved it, give it one stars, five stars, you know, it's all, it's all the same to me. But it, um, you know, every little helps, um, apparently. So, not that I particularly want this to be widely. It's just a little um, exercise in narcissism, and uh, I don't want to be encouraged in that. So, yeah, maybe don't, maybe don't. Um, you know, give it a review. It'll only keep me doing it. And at my age, I should be doing something else, you know, probably. Take care. Happy New Year. And um, stay tuned. But uh, don't give it more than a year. And because, um, you know, I might uh, might decide to do something else. Cheers. Bye.